0: hey everybody welcome to the growing with fishes podcast i'm steve and i'm marty welcome and thanks for joining us um, for this we're going to do this podcast to help spread um aquaponic growing knowledge and just cannabis growing knowledge in general um, over different topics what we're growing um marty and i both have a bunch of different uh projects going on that'll be really cool for showing you guys over the next couple of months Um, we both have a lot of experience growing in aquaponics and um, we have a lot of cool things to show you guys and talk about um, we'll get started um marty do you want to tell us about yourself Uh,
1: sure yeah (laughs) um my name is marty and i've been growing aquaponics for probably about four years now Um, started out with just making sort of like a little recycled system out of some storage totes that I had. I think I originally saw maybe a YouTube video, or I can't remember where I originally picked it up, Um, and just uh, just got fascinated with it, I guess. And um, so I built that, grew some basic stuff, you know, some lettuce, some greens, some green onions, uh, stuff like that, and progressed forward, and built siphons, and Um, once I was able to grow some nice big tomatoes, as the cliche goes, I decided that it was time to, uh, try and do some cannabis, and, uh, despite everybody telling me it didn't work, it wouldn't work, um, it, uh, turned out really well, and been really happy with it, and, uh, done three runs in aquaponics now, um, working on my fourth, and, uh, everything's been, been really great with it, obviously it's a learning experience anytime you grow cannabis, but, um. Really you deal with all the same issues plus some fish issues other than that. It's uh it's really about the same so um, That's kind of how I progressed forward in into uh, aquaponics and uh, now I grow my medicine and my food in the same system at the same time and um, It it's really a great way to lower the nitrogen in your system during flowering and then be able to eat the result of that so everything from lettuce and spinach to green onions, to kale, mm-hmm. to um, Swiss chard, all kinds of different things that you can grow without really affecting your cannabis in a negative way, and actually affecting it in a positive way um, is definitely been a big thing for me. And And uh, I, I try not to do any supplements either. That's one of the differences that you'll notice between Steve and I's grows is that um, pretty much the only thing that I add is homemade worm tea. And uh, that's, that's really it. Uh, it's all made from fruit. Um, uh, in the worm bin, that's all the worms eat. I don't put any greens or vegetables in there that would produce more nitrogen to add back into the system. And uh, about once every three to four days, um, I uh, put some water through the worm bin, take what's leached through the worm bin, and pour it right into the beds. And that's that's pretty much all I do. And um, it's worked out really well for me. So that's kind of
0: uh, some of my basic growing methods and how I got into them and where we're at now is there uh, anything you don't put in your worm bin or anything like that like avocados or um, anything else what else don't you put it in citrus or anything or i used to you- put citrus um and now that i've been working with
1: labs that i've been activating my worm bin with labs i haven't had an issue with it at all I actually now orange peels or you know half rotten oranges or any of that stuff um, really has no problem mycelium Grows right over the top of it, whereas before um, it would take a lot longer for that stuff to to break down. And usually avoided it, um, but now I I compost that stuff as well and haven't really noticed a difference, negative or positive, other than I get to utilize more stuff that
0: I didn't utilize before. Sure. So not everybody knows what labs are. Do you want to explain that a little bit? <laughs> I can explain <laughs> a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so. Lactobacillus uh, serum is basically the, I'm sure there's five different ways to pronounce it and I'm sure I'll get slaughtered for slaughtering it, but um, basically what it is, is taking milk and allowing it to ferment and in, um, in growing a layer of bacteria between what would normally be the cheese layer as it curdles, um, there's sort of this thin layer of. Um, oil-like substance that develops between the water down below when milk separates, you know, just like any any jug of milk does anywhere. And that layer in between is really what you want. So you separate that stuff out. There's a whole process that you go through in order to do it, but basically that aggressive form of beneficial bacteria added into your worm bin is extremely beneficial to break stuff down and provide nutrients in the same way that um, that we get nitrogen. It just allows you um, to break down stuff much faster, more efficiently. And uh, I've really noticed a huge difference. I actually get tons of seed sprouts in my in my bin now. I get you know that like I said, citrus stuff gets broken down no problem. Um, and we've used it in uh, this last year in our um, outdoor soil garden as well. That's pretty much how we inoculated all of our beds um, about once a week with a with a good lab tea, and then fed them just fed um, raw nutrients. So we'll be um, keeping our soil alive and continuing that on. And I'm sure, you've read about in the you know the PFA group and all that stuff about recycling our soil. People have been doing it up to ten times now, yeah. um, and it getting better instead of worse. And so that's really. Kind of the same idea i had with the worm bin was that you know it's a great way to put in the aquaponic system not necessarily in the loop but um in the worm bin to help that stuff break down faster and um i definitely noticed that i can put more stuff into there and have it get broken down faster so theoretically it should be getting more stuff to the plants in in each one also sure Very cool. So I'd highly recommend uh, maybe we can put up some links or something after this uh, in terms of where to go and how to make a basic lab mix.
0: Yeah, if you have a good link, we can definitely put that in the description. Make sure people have a good uh, good link for that. Yeah, because it's definitely a lot more advanced than I just hacked it out. But
1: that's the rough idea of it. And it's extremely beneficial. There's a ton of science behind it. I think I sent you one article that goes really in-depth on it, and uh, so for all of you science nerds out there, it's uh, it's a great article. and we'll, I'll get that link
0: over, and we'll get it posted. Yeah, I know. There's one good link. I think it's called microborganics. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Microbiogonics.com is a good one for learning about worm tea and compost tea. And then for the labs, um, I think you have a different one. It's a little more right.
1: Right. And then the other article that I posted in the aquaponics group the other day is really good, too, from the, um, okay. the Institute, um, you know, I like used, like you pointed out, it echoes a lot of the stuff that um, that a lot of growers have been saying for a long time, a lot of aquaponic growers have been saying for, for a long time. But it was nice to see it come out in, in such an organized and professional research paper. Um,
0: yeah.
1: it, was, it was really great. read. really enjoyed
0: that. Very cool, Um, and thanks for bringing up the Facebook. Um, For those of you who don't know, we actually have a uh, aquaponic cannabis growing Facebook where we run, and it's just all about mostly aquaponic cannabis growing. Once in a while, I'll post some fun cannabis-related stuff on there, too. It's funny and things. I think um, Marty had something I reposted earlier. It was about uh, spider mites, and that's why aliens haven't come back yet. That's right, we're in quarantine. Yeah, we're under spider mite quarantine until they get rid of all the spider mites. So they don't yeah. want to screw up their space weed. <laughs> so, it's a valid theory, I think. Right. I wouldn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm Steve. Um, I've been working in the cannabis industry now in one way or another for, I guess, six and a half years now, as long as I've been in Colorado. And before that, uh, had some experience in uh, various places um, growing as well. Um, I originally started off in the pet trade. I did pretty much since the age of 12 or 13, worked in a pet shop doing high-end freshwater, salt water, brackish water, you name it, then got really into terrariums and orchids, and actually that's when I got into aquaponics and growing things on a more hardcore scale um, and growing a lot of really exotic plants. And then um, managed a, a green nursery for a while and then um, got an opportunity to come out to Colorado and grow for someone out here back when uh, the laws were a little bit different on that stuff. And I was growing that way for a while. And then when they changed up the way that they get the supply here uh, for the dispensaries, I had to um, switch jobs. And I've been working for the pet uh, industry for a month or two again, before working um, for a uh, a grow out here and uh, um, not far, uh, just outside of Boulder County, and then um, started working for the, uh, the aquaponics source and ended up heading um, up most of their R&D and their uh, whole cannabis development and um, all their their nutrient lab and all that stuff and got a chance to do a lot of hardcore nutrient testing specifically involving uh, flowering plants and cannabis and um, a bunch of other cool stuff uh, between the, the three different sites that I was running with them as well as um, Helping out at a co-op, um, being able to get some aquaponic nutrient data from them as well. So, um, using all that, to able to uh, to learn a lot about the uh, exact you know uh, nutrient ranges and stuff that you're looking for. And just trying to uh, bring a lot of the uh, aquaponic stuff more to the um, bring a lot more data to the table um, and make it closer to be some of the data that's available for hydro or soil um, because you know it's one of the reasons why a lot of people are intimidated they don't really know what they're kind of aiming for um, depending on what you're you're doing and depending on you know method. um, you know a lot of people just like going with the teas and stuff like you have and it works really well and they have it, you know have it dialed in and then uh, i try to handle a little bit differently using uh, mineral salts and you know other organic stuff that is fish safe um and um along with you know brewing tea and things like that so uh and that's that's i Madam. Currently, uh, just started my own business called um, Potemponics, and um, I'll be down in Jamaica, and uh, um, hopefully leaving in next weekend uh, to start off a, a project to build uh, two farms down there. Um, we have some government contracts, which uh, uh, will be really fun to show you guys once it's all uh, once it's all done. But um, everything everything looks like it's gonna. We have our initial licensing for Canada export to Canada. From jamaica um so when all is said and done so uh it'll be all all good <laughs> but uh yeah so uh not next episode with the episode after that depending on when we can shoot the next one um we'll uh i'll be in jamaica so it'll be a good time
1: and so uh, when did you start getting involved with dual road zone because obviously that's one thing that oh, yeah have, I've so shown- um, like that, and I actually have a buddy that has, here in Ashland, just south of me, that has, uh, has grown, like, a tomato plant that's given him, like, a thousand tomatoes off of it, it's been, like, you know, extremely fruitful, pardon the pun, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great, so
0: why don't you talk about that a little bit? Sure, so, um, I, uh, originally learned from a gentleman who we'll talk about a little bit later, who owns a company called uh, Atria uh, Gardens, um, and, uh, They've been, uh, he's been working for a long time with this method over in Serbia and then when he came back to the US um, called dual root zone planting where you have the bottom half of your plant, uh, you have a pot that you put your plants in, the bottom half is hydrogen, you use a layer of burlap or other root permeable material and then put your soil on top and then put it down uh, just far enough into your grow media or flood and drain tray to where the water doesn't touch the soil so that you're not getting water waking up. And then what happens is your bottom half of your root zone gets a nice flood and drain layer where it can breathe and get real good gas exchange. And then the top half, you can get you know a whole nice soil layer where you can have all those soil, terrestrial soil microbes or mycorrhizae. A lot of that stuff doesn't like to grow as well or at all in an aquatic environment or it will grow very differently. Um, and you know, giving it the exact environment that it wants and allowing it to have an, a layer that you can continually feed um, or boost, um, not have to worry about introducing anything to the fish. Um, you know, you could make super concentrated worm tea or other things like that and not have to worry about, you know, uh, having an your pH or um, having any negative impact on, you know, too much nitrogen or wh- whoever your your particular uh, formula is that you're using. Um, but, you know, if you are at all worried about it, uh, it's just a way of dosing your plants in an aquaponic system without having to, to worry about it uh, much at all soup uh, and the way that you do that is once you have your soil in your pot you want to take a, a measuring cup and you're going to pour water in there and measure how much water you put in there so for example if i put 64 ounces in there um of water into that soil layer and, and then it starts to drip out the bottom over the course of about five ten minutes you know be realistic about it um mm. and then i know i can put at least 32 ounces of water in there from now on without oversaturating it, as long as I give it at least a week in the beginning to dry back out. But once that plant's cranking, it'll suck that thing dry three times a week, that, that soil layer. Um, but that soil layer is where, you know, you can really do a lot of tinkering and, you know, you can have a really rich soil mix and do almost like an, if you do bigger containers, you can even do a no-type system in a aquaponic uh, setup, uh, no problem at all, which I know that's a, a way a lot of people are moving towards, is maintaining those mycorrhizae rising networks and, and all that stuff, so, which I believe is what kind of what you were touching on a little bit earlier.
1: Right. And so, you know, it's really not that much different than having my worm bin set up and having it in there. Ultimately, you know, it's just, that I'm diluting it a lot more when I add it in, essentially is what it comes down to and yeah. makes it so that I don't have to feed each plant individually, but it also makes it so that you can feed each plant individually with the dual zone. So it's just a matter of, you know, Delivery system at that point and what and where you you know, obviously if you're like you're saying if you want a large number of plants Then you know, you're probably going to have to go a route where you can add um, You know more supplements at one time as
0: opposed to so diluted in time. And uh, you know, you can always hook it up to a regular um, ring sprayer and put it on a timer and have it to where you can get it You know Watered similar to a traditional soil plant for that soil layer without uh, having too much of an issue As long right. as you the your timers
1: <laughs> Right, so in my garage, I actually have two different systems set up right now and two different fish tanks one has catfish in it and the other one still has the koi and goldfish and um, and so in the catfish tank I actually have the worm bin situated right over the top of it and a separate small aquarium pump on a timer so that um like five minutes uh, it pumps water up into there and lets it drain back through right back down into the tank so i'm experimenting with just automating that process um and it, it's it's working really well i also was able to i i think you saw the post i did where i compared the one that had worm tea in it and the one that oh, didn't yeah, yeah. and so i left that one i wanted to see how long before um uh, i didn't get anything in flour so it had that tea at all and at about two and a half weeks three weeks in the flower is really started to yellow up and that's when I took that original picture and um, we could really see the difference because the the grow beds are right next to each other under the same light everything else is really the same um, and so that, that was really the only difference and then you know once it got really yellow took the picture added worm tea in. I think it's been maybe three days now and it's already really starting to green back up so it was a nice little experiment to see like that's really going to be about you know the max you're going to be able to go without some sort of uh worm tea or additional supplement that you're going to be able to get to and i think that's one of the walls that people hit previously um and probably some of the negativity that we received around it was just people to hit that wall and didn't take that next step and say okay well it turns yellow after three weeks now while they're pouring some warm tea you know i just think it's a natural progression and uh and it was neat to be able to have those two systems right next to each other, and to be able to say, you know, this one got worm tea, that one didn't. That's really the only difference between the two, and uh, and show what it can do. And so it's almost all the way green back up now after about three days, and uh, I expect between five to seven days they'll pretty much look identical again. So it's kind of a neat little project.
0: Yeah, that's really it's cool that you posted all that and were able to do the side by side like that. I like having my own experiments. I
1: think that it's always good to learn hands-on, and yeah, and then be able to test it and say, you know, this is—I'm pretty sure this is what's going to happen. I know this system here is going to turn, you know, we're going to have uh, nutrient issues of some kind, right? Um, obviously, I didn't know what was going to show first, but um, you know, that iron deficiency, you know, popped out pretty quick, which doesn't surprise me at all, um, but it does does give a pretty good indication. I think that. Uh, um, adding that worm tea in obviously is making a huge difference and I did have a couple of people private message me that was saying it was basically a waste of time so that was probably the the main reason why I said okay well let's test that theory out you know what I mean right. um, and obviously I get private messages from a lot of people that say a lot of different things but um, they, were, they were suggesting that everything was coming from the aquaponic system and that I didn't need to do the worm tea at all and it was a waste of time if yeah, I did yeah. Put molasses in it and like do all this other special stuff to it. It wasn't wasn't going to have the same effect. And I disagree. I think that um, I don't even uh, I don't even aerate my tea anymore. I just allow it to aerate in the system. Um, I poured it directly in the tank as opposed to pouring it in the beds. Um, I've tried a number of different ways of adding to the system, and pretty much as long as it gets in there, it's just fine. <laughs> I haven't noticed a big difference between adding it to beds versus adding it to tanks versus diluting it more or diluting it less yeah you know, pretty much it's all about that you know it's all about
0: volume how much you put in do you uh, pH adjust your um your uh PL? pH test my what and pH adjust your tea tea
1: no <laughs> i use aquaponic water so i use water right from the tank that's already you know it's already oh, okay. so that way i'm also um you know feeding some of that the solids that come through right into the worm bin and flowing around the system i don't get too many anymore because i have like double double filtering beds so these beds filter out first that flow into the next two and then those two beds filter out before it goes back to the fish tank so most of my solids um are filtered out by that anyway but anything that i do pump out is just going to feed the feed the worms even more and then i don't have to ph the water that i put in because it's already done from the tank just goes right back
0: into the system yeah, and uh, so, yeah, that works pretty well for me. So you just pour water through your worm bin then? Is that what you're saying? Yep. Well, huh, it's different. Yeah, it is. And uh, um,
1: I used to do all that other stuff. I used to, like, aerate it overnight. I even tried adding molasses to a couple of mixes um, to see if there was any – I felt like there was any major difference in that. And uh, it just seems like more work, to be honest. I haven't noticed a a big drop and uh, I haven't done it at all on this run so I guess you know the proof is always in the pudding we'll see we're only about three three and a half weeks or so
0: in but it's looking pretty good so far have you ever taken um some of the runoff and like looked at it under a microscope versus what you were doing before yeah
1: um I did it uh before and after I added labs um to the mix just because I was relatively interested and um i by no means know what i'm looking at but i do know <laughs> that uh you know there's definitely an increased amount of microbial life in a diversity that wasn't there before different types of things moving around um is really about the only observation that i can make as a as a non-scientist but uh that's uh it, i definitely noticed a huge difference not only in the volume of what was there but also the diversity of what was there so it uh i'm definitely a big proponent of those i've I've seen them like, you know, this for instance was pretty much fed entirely with labs. This is from that outdoor soil grow that I was talking about. This is a Herkel, which is a one and a half to one cut of herkel right here. So this tested at like 14.9 CBD and 9.5 THC and nice. uh, it's a great smoke. So I, I've definitely seen enough about labs to be convinced that they're highly beneficial. What, right. pretty cool. Sure. What do you have next on the list there?
0: Um, so what, so you and I both grow aquaponics and there's not a ton of, well, it's kind of a newer, uh, newer part of the, the growing community that hasn't been allowed quite as long. Um, so i did a bit of research and the oldest i could find any mention of like decent successful aquaponic cannabis was from this old article from 1994 on uh injecting uh, into the roots um no what they were doing is they were doing uh the plants in um hydrogen pots and they had them in flood and drain tables and then they were top dressing with the fish waste from their filters <laughs> Huh. And it was some guy posting basically in the back room of a fish store. <laughs> and, did you, did you uh, see
1: that one guy, though, I don't, I don't know when it was from. It was definitely a while ago, based on the on the footage, though. But there was a guy that did a, um, I think it was a, like for a college course of some kind. It was like a study or something. Anyway, he figured out how to basically was using a needle to inject. Nutrients. Yeah, that. Did you read that one? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, um i don't i don't know really that much about it but it was it was if i remember right in my head at least it was the oldest one that i could find or what i thought was the oldest one that i could find also um other than that it was just a lot of discouragement (laughs) about doing it you know And and i'm sure which is all valid based on
0: you know stuff that they had done it's just there are ways to solve problems that's all yeah. Well then a lot of people too, they'll run their nitrogen way too high through flour. You know, a lot of people that run aquaponics are running their nitrogen, you know, hundred sixty parts per million, you know, way higher than they really should be. And that really does cause a lot of problems, especially in flour, even if you have everything else dialed in, it's gonna make your stuff fluffy.
1: So. Right. Well it's got it's gonna slow it down too. You know, For you, sure. have, you know you might be expecting the harvest in eight weeks, but it might be closer to sixteen weeks if you're if you have high nitrogen, it's gonna slow the flowering process down. So even if you wanted them to harden up or you fix the issue, you're still gonna be running a lot longer than you want to be. Um, I had a, I think it was heavyweight fruit punch, I think it was in my second run that just took forever to finish up um, because of that exact same reason until I added in a, like a whole entire cover crop of microgreens and really absorbed all the nutrients out of that one bin did it ever really finish up? And it was way more sensitive than the other plan- the other uh, strains I had in that run. I had Oregon Skunk, uh, Fruit Punch, and <clears throat> one, I can't remember now. Oh, Lemon O.G. and O.G.s are almost always really picky about it. So I'm not sure why it ended up affecting that one bed um, more than other ones. But even in that system, I only had six fish, so that's only like you know one one fish per plant. <clears throat> so yeah. it's- that's a, that's a really uh, good example of how little nitrogen you need during the flower cycle and sure. how, it, it, you know, if you're really stacking, like you have tilapia or something like that or catfish even that, um, you, you know, are definitely going to be producing a lot more um, waste. I think that it's definitely easy for it to get away. Because when you're raising fish that you want to eat, you're going to want up to the, up the stocking level. So... It just gets out of hand really quickly um, if you're not consuming it. And so that's why I switched over to doing so much uh, microgreens and lettuce and different stuff along with mine at the same time. And since then, I haven't really had any issues. So, um, you know, I'm a really big proponent of like, um, I know we've talked about this before, but you buy green onions at the store, they still have roots left on them. You can cut off the top and replant them and grow them back. And they're a great way to identify issues in your system just by being able to gauge how fast they're growing or how healthy they are by having smaller other plants in the system that you can read in addition to your own cannabis plants that are going to take longer to show changes Um, i feel like it's a it's a great way to um, consume nitrogen and give you other plants to read to give you an idea of your overall health of your system
0: using bait plants i'm a huge fan of using sugar snap peas and um uh, sugar snap peas uh, kale shoots are good, um, uh, chamomile is <laughs> another great one, um, you know, your mites, your um, all your nasties, your thrips, all those guys, they love to go, you know, they'll much prefer a real sweet sugar snap pea or, um, you know, something like that, and then, you know, I'm going to instantly see, because those leaves show damage a little bit easier sometimes on cannabis, especially spider mite damage, right, um, it's easier to tell, oh, hey, uh, in this corner of the room, they're starting to come in the greenhouse or, you know, this, that, or the other. Oh, crap, I got them in there. But at least you got something that's more tasty to them. Um, cannabis is a lot of things in it that the insects makes it harder for them to digest. So if you give them something else, like a, another bait plant, it, it really helps with um, um, with that. And then I know if you're growing uh, on a bigger scale, especially if you're down in California or in the south or um, – you know, somewhere in the tropics, uh, a lot of people are starting to plant um, or do plant neem trees uh, on the barrier that grow as well, um, or other, uh, you know, uh, citronella. Um, there's plenty of other insect repellent uh, plants that you can plant as a barrier around your garden, or even intermixed with your garden to help again just discourage. Right, or
1: encourage them to go to a certain place where you can treat
0: them. I found that like.
1: Peppermint, for instance, is great for that too. It's a great bait, bait plant because, like, white flies and aphids and all kinds of different uh, bugs are, are attracted to that way more than anything else. So as soon as they get in there, it gives you a place to identify them and treat them right there. You know, if you treat them there, then you know you're going to take out most of them. And I use ladybugs and predator mites as long as my humidity is at a, you know, realistic level to keep them around. I'm a big proponent of those. Um, and they work fantastic. And then as far as microgreens go, um, I really enjoy the pea greens like you were talking about. We, The whole family loves to eat them. They grow extremely fast. Uh, the seeds are easy to sprout. Um, so that's definitely, you just got to make sure they don't get out of control and start climbing your plants because that, <laughs> that definitely can be an issue. Um, although I thought about doing some low stress training with pea plants. I thought that might be an interesting (laughs) avenue to go about how it worked out but i think it'd be interesting one way or another but um i do love (laughs) um i think the regeneration is an important part it's great for being able to eat them and not have to plant them as often and that kind of stuff but um i do use if i have a particular bed i want to give a boost to i use buckwheat because it doesn't regenerate so as soon as you you cut at all those roots then become food for the worms that are in the bed and provide that extra boost that um to do that but also be careful doing that in nitrogen or i'm sorry doing that in flour because it will boost nitrogen when you do that also those roots when they start eating them it's gonna your nitrogen levels are gonna go up so um, i try not to do i try to use buckwheat in the beginning when i'm uh when I'm in veg, and then I use primarily pea greens when I'm in flowers, so that, that way I can replant them as often as I need to, but for the most part, they're going to regen and we're going to continue to eat them, and that uh, we won't have dead roots in the bed that will then contribute to the nitrogen issue.
0: Uh, have you ever tried using buckwheat for seed
1: sprout tea as well, or? Yeah, I've used uh, buckwheat. I've also used um, corn. It's actually a great option for when you're in flower. Um, yeah, i corn. and it's really easy to do um we've used uh barley before and uh really pretty much any seed that you can get in bulk it's going to sprout sprout in a jar of water i mean that's quite a few options Uh, we try to avoid like the barley and stuff um you know again when you're in flour, because that's going to be mostly nitrogen but the corn is great because it gives you such a rounded amount of nutrients you do get nitrogen also but not nearly as much as like a, a barley or. A, um, I can't even think of the other one we used right now, but. This makes good chicken
0: feed when it's done sprout. <laughs> yeah, sprouted chicken feed. That's right. Um, the uh, I'm a huge fan of mint as a as a pest or a, uh, an attractive plant too, just because it grows so easy. You can take. You just rip a chunk off and stick it in the grow bed anywhere you want, and it all it'll just root on its own. The other one that I like that works really well like that is watercress. Watercress, if it's near moisture, it'll keep growing. It gets you can't kill the stuff. It's almost like mint. Um, yeah, also maybe, on I
1: mean, like, <laughs> completely take over beds, you know, just like oh, yeah. left unchug. Like um, what I, I do have mint in in my uh, beds right now, but um, I actually pull up and prune all the different roots that come out the side so that allows it to spread so i'll just pull it right up out of the bed and sort of prune the roots and so that way it doesn't take over everything otherwise it'll just it'll be everywhere in no time i had a a nft system outside a couple of years ago um i think there's a video on my youtube about it still but anyway it was in that nft system and i had it was literally when i pulled that thing out at the end of the year i think the roots were something like six feet one direction and five feet in the other direction and it had just i mean it was growing inside the pipe like when you pull out the net pots you would see like peppermint like growing inside and started like shooting up through other holes and then nft system it just went went crazy so that's when i realized that in order to keep it from spreading like that if you pull it up out you can see the I don't know what kind of roots they are but they're they're a thicker hardier root that it starts growing out to the side and spreading out in that way so I clip all those and prune them back and it's much more easier to manage that way
0: yeah so what what actually happens um that so those thicker fatter roots or tap roots the uh, plants produce three different types of root structures and um that's actually a really good point so um what you can do is uh when you're trimming those um what happens is most of the plant's root inhibitor um, hormone is produced in the tips of those tap roots so when you trim them off suddenly the plant doesn't have that inhibitor to slow it down and force it to go straight down and seek iron and water you're going to provide it with iron and water it doesn't need to like reach as deep as it can get and try and find you know just find a source of water because you're going to take care of it Um, so uh, when you're transferring clones or seedlings um, if uh, when you pull them out when you're transplanting if you can find the one to four or five biggest tap roots and you trim just the very tips of them you can get rid of that inhibitor and you'll notice if you do a side-by-side comparison uh, about a, a 20 to 30 percent additional uh, leaf count increase after about the first week and about a 30 30 ish percent after the second week um, I've done side-by-sides on that and uh, uh, back where I used to work at both with tomatoes and with um, cannabis clones and um, worked really really well uh, for that um, yeah. but yeah that's exactly what you're doing
1: yeah I've read a lot about the the root pruning on clones and you know how, how it you know, allows, you know, to get more of those feeder roots coming out as opposed to just the, the taproot extending out to looking for wherever it needs to go. And oftentimes in a cloning setup, you know, it could be looking for a long time before it finds what it actually wants. So by, by trimming that off, you can get, you know, essentially more feeder roots faster, which leads to more foliage. So that's all
0: all makes sense so is there any any plants that you think are definitely like a do not put them in an aquaponic system the only one that comes to mind that i can think of is um uh, i would highly recommend against bringing in strawberries almost every single greenhouse strawberry has spider mites on it Mm -hmm. (laughs) that i've seen for the last four or five years um so that's and they also suck up iron really heavily compared to other similar sized plants um, so that's definitely one I would recommend against putting in as a companion plant. Is there any others that you have?
1: Basically, I stay away from anything that fruits or flowers. I mean, I don't even have – I have a separate system that I grow, like cucumbers, tomatoes, like all of that stuff. Um, <coughs> if, it, if it goes in with the cannabis, and, um, then it's pretty much greens, mm-hmm. and that's that's it. We try to stick with anything with that. I did grow um, – some blueberries and some grapes in with my system last year um, in the outdoor <clears throat> and it didn't necessarily seem to make a huge difference. But it was two small plants um, that I actually had growing out of my filter, <laughs> which was kind of funny. I have a just like a swirl filter, so I put a top on it on the swirl filter, and uh, basically they grew in there just like a DWC, no media at all. Um, <laughs> And uh, it actually turned out really great. I didn't touch them or do anything with them. And the grapes were delicious. The blueberries were uh, pink lemonade blueberries. And uh, they were really good, too. Yeah. And I read a lot of stuff on blueberries that said that they wouldn't flower, um, you know, unless you had extremely acidic water. So I was slightly concerned about that. But I didn't have an issue. I mean, I'm sure you would get larger yields from more acidic water. But it still produced plenty for us to eat as a as a small family and get some enjoyment out of it and worth it but um as of right now i don't have any like even bell peppers tomatoes all that stuff goes in a separate system um but like romaine lettuce um various herbs like sage thyme you know any of those things are are all going going to do well and um as far as you know anything that fruits or flowers i would put in a separate system uh, with cannabis but in terms of Stuff that doesn't grow well, specifically in aquaponics, um, I don't think i really ran into anything that I would I would say, you know, won't put it in there. Like you mentioned, strawberries. Obviously, you know, there's a ton of issues around that. They're remarkable resistance to spider mites, which I think is rather. Oh
0: yeah, they can right. be horribly infested and just throw berries off and not even care. Yeah, whoever's doing
1: the genetic modification needs to cross some strawberries with some cannabis. We can be done with right. all this shit. But, it, it amazes me how uh, how they can live on strawberry plants and not, not really affect the plant at all. Um, so obviously anything you bring into your room, strawberries, anything, whatever it is, quarantine it, wherever you get it from, I don't care if you get it from Lowe's or you get it from your buddy who's a super awesome gardener and whatever else, like um, if you want to avoid the same situation that every other grower has ran into, um, just set up a quarantine and uh, spend about you know three to five days making sure that everything's really clean. Spray them down with your essential oil mixes and all that kind of stuff. Whether it's clones or starts or whatever it is, and um, for the most part nowadays I pretty much just throw seeds in and wait for them to sprout. I don't get that many starts. I don't mess with any of that stuff because anything that you transplant out of soil, you know, is going to be traumatized. Um, just it's not the same way you can go from aquaponics to soil not traumatize the plant but you're not going to wash the dirt off of every inch of its root system and tear it apart and throw it in the system it'll live and survive but not without being traumatized in some way and slow down so I highly recommend seeds um, if you can you know you can tolerate sexing your plants even for cannabis I would recommend seeds I, um, for sure, you just get more vigorous growth out of them. They're more symmetrical, you know, all all that different stuff. Plus, you get to hunt phenotypes, which everybody knows how much fun that is. So. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think for especially for all my greens and different things, uh, even tomatoes and bell peppers, I've just taken to um, saving seeds from ones I buy at the farmer's market, um, you know, ones I specifically like, and sprouting those doesn't take much to dry out the seeds, and throw them in in and I actually composted a couple of tomatoes, like small cherry tomatoes that had been rotten um, in the freezer or something like that. I can't remember where they were, but I threw them in the compost bin. And now I have like, I don't know, probably 30 little seedlings popping up out of the compost bin. And uh, I found that um, after adding labs to it, I probably get at least 60% more of that. I mean, I used to get, you know, seed sprouts in there periodically, but, you know nearly every seed from a tiny little tomato <laughs> ended up uh, sprouting in there so it's kind of cool um, to have that little test on it too but uh, that's another way that you can um, get your own seeds without having to really uh, mess with transplanting anything or getting any bugs from anywhere else and uh, so um, I do have strawberries in my other system and they do have spider mites on them so <laughs> I at least they used to I've treated them a number of times now so I hope they don't but I mean if I looked real hard I could find one and that's on a totally separate area I try to keep that as down as I could so um, try not to go from one to the other without washing my hands or any of that normal stuff you do in a girl room but I, I do far less than anybody else does my garage is used just like a normal garage it's not sealed off in any way uh, you know my ac doesn't have you know anything other than a basic filter on it um you know i have good airflow i spray three times a day or every three days with uh, um, the spray that we talked about with essential oils <coughs> garlic oregano rosemary peppermint thyme you know basically kind of whatever I, lemongrass is probably you know i think you mentioned kapow um before and so I pretty much stick with that same sort of percentage that Kapow does, but I rotate the oils and mixes. So, you know, depending on what I have available, peppermint's really easy to grow. <clears throat> um, I've even done lavender oil. I don't know if you've worked with that before, but um, I've had good success with all of them. And then I just rotate them so I'm not always doing the same one. And uh, um, in between there, I, you know, I release, especially right when the flower starts, I release ladybugs and predator mites because um, i going to, you know, obviously you stop spraying oils once you get heavy into flour, or else it's just going to get absorbed into your bud. And then your extractor is going to yell at you because you know, extracted two ounces of neem oil out of your plants. And yeah. This is a shitload of his time. Yeah, thing, so, something that. Extractors don't like that stuff. Don't spray oil. Anything <laughs> oil in it. Um, and uh, so, <clears throat> I definitely. Um, I'm a big proponent of insects at that point <clears throat> throughout flower and then there's um you know a diluted alcohol mix that you can use as well that evaporates off quickly or just soap and water if you have like spot stuff that you need to clean up none of that stuff is gonna and don't use soap that has oil in it i know that seems like kind of a silly thing to say but even like dr bonner's soap has peppermint oil in it so Again, if oil's in the soap and you spray the soap on the plants, then it's going to absorb into the bud and then they're going to extract it and mm. you're going to get yelled at again. So don't do that. <laughs> um, just to account for if you use Bonner soap or a different type of organic soap that has oils mixed into it. Like I think uh, Bonner's has peppermint and maybe lavender. I can't remember now. I think there's two of them in, the, in just the classic one. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you can account for that in your mix. I usually go like... Somewhere around 20 milliliters per gallon of total oil, regardless of how you mix it together. So, if you do five, five, and five, and five, or you do 10 and five, and five, or however you mix it up, um, uh, and then usually about maybe a quarter cup of soap uh, per gallon of water. And that's pretty much the same same kind of mix that uh, Kapow is, except for it's primarily
0: lemongrass oil, I think, right? Lemongrass and castor oil. Castor, that's right so you gotta, I, you can anesthetize your fish with castor if you put too much Capal in your system you'll put your fish to sleep they won't kill them but it'll it'll anesthetize them <laughs>
1: <laughs> i should have known that before when i first got my catfish and they wouldn't stop fighting like just probably like a week straight was just like you go out in there and you just hear them going at it like smacking the side of the tank and each other and just they were not happy about the move. so okay. i put them to sleep and like
0: he gets calmed down so yeah. You put like a, a drop of clo. Back in the day, I don't know if they still do this anymore, but used to be able to. Used to have like puffer fish or trigger fish or other big saltwater fish and stuff like that, and they get um their teeth would get too big, um so you'd have to wear them down, mm. and um we would anesthetize them with clover oil, and you can basically knock them out, and put a little tube in their mouth to run water over their gills, and then you can work on them if you have to. Um, yeah. We had to work on a couple of expensive groupers in koi that way, where you know the koi had something that had to get cut out of it or cut off of it or it got impacted or whatever. <laughs> it's an old trick for it. So. I would have knocked him out. I got tired of hearing fight him fighting. So that's that's <laughs> Next time we get rowdy, I'll, I'll them. chop the temperature a little bit. That'll slow him down a little bit too. Yeah. So you were talk- talking about extractors. Um, you're in you're in Oregon, so um, you guys are having quite the quite the debacle with your extraction laws at the moment they had, what was it March 1st they banned all or removed the sale of all uh, concentrates or extracts from the, the market I forget. Um, There's a number of complications but yes that's
1: that's mostly it now they can dispensaries can sell whatever they already have on hand so it's not that you can't buy they can't produce anymore. you the dispensary can't buy anymore. From anybody who's not licensed, and nobody has any licenses.
0: <laughs> they, yeah, this, the licenses is April 1st, right?
1: <clears throat> well, it is now. It was supposed to have already been done. Oh, sh- I didn't know that. So there's this period where, you know, like there's been people that have applied for rec licenses for, and for, um, Extractor licenses for a long time. It's been open to apply for and The schedule showed them handing out licenses before this restriction came up so The way they plan it is not the way they well At least the way they said they planned it is not the way that it happened People were supposed to have licenses by now and nobody has any there's been none issued zero at all so right now there's nobody legally making or Oil in Oregon. If you're making oil today, as of today, doesn't matter who you are, how professional you are, or how much equipment you have, or how much anything, uh, you're you're illegal. There's not one one legal it's a, one. It's a Class so, B felony right now in Oregon. Right, and so there's a you know, obviously a healthy number of extractors. You know, there's a huge demand already. So I guess it kind of depends on who you talk to, whether you think. You know, it's a legitimate fuck up, or if it's, you know, basically a conspiracy to create a demand in a market that didn't really have a demand. A lot of people feel like that the the dispensaries were well stocked by the medical people that were already producing oil and didn't really leave any room in the market for new recreational stuff uh, producers coming in. So, by shutting down, literally shutting down every one of them, now they have complete control over who does get uh, any sort of demand on the market, who can legally make oil and sell it to dispensaries. And they, even dispensaries here have gotten letters that say, you can't purchase any oil. So, it's not like they don't know about the situation. Um, you know, They're well aware of it, had plenty of time to draft a letter and send it out, but they didn't have enough time to draft any recreational licenses and, and send them out. No, and it's the same situation with recreational grower licenses. I you know, I, I talked to you about the guy that I'm working with right now has an mm-hmm. has an old dairy farm that wants to convert it over into a commercial rec farm. You know, it's a family owned farm. He's they've owned it forever, got all the water rights, all the land use rights, they're zoned properly, like everything's been done, turned in since day one, you know, like two months ago. Um, along with, like, something like 75 to 80 other applications that just simply haven't been processed. So there's no legal recreational grower either. Um, on, On top of that, there also are individual counties, like the county I live in right now, Jackson County, is imposing its own regulations in order to try and limit the amount that you can grow on residential and urban residential. So again, depending on your point of view, it's, uh, it's either sort of an overlap of legislation. Because our, our last legislation that went through on statewide essentially said that cannabis was now a farm use crop, whether it's uh, medical grown or whatever it is, uh, medical or recreational is considered farm use. So now what that does is by defining that in legal terms and saying that it is farm use and it is specifically medical and specifically recreational, it says right in the legislation that those are farm use. The intention of that legislation on the state level is different than the way that the county is interpreting it, and what the county is doing is saying, oh great, you classify this as farm use, now all of our regulations that we can apply to farm use will also apply to cannabis. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the big deal, because in Measure 91, which is what legalized recreational in Oregon specifically says in it, and was voted in by voters, that says you get no authority over the medical marijuana program. You can't change it or regulate it at all. Even specifically says city, cities and counties in, uh, are not able to add regulations in addition to what the OHA has already regulated. And that was supposed to be the way that medical was protected in the state. And so now it's not. (laughs) This allows them to regulate around it. To give you an idea, um, there are plenty of little fruit stands. Like you mentioned strawberries right down the road from me here in an urban residential area is probably an entire two-acre lot that has nothing but strawberries planted on it and a little stand sitting next to it and they sell strawberries right there. Now, that's they're not zoned properly. They don't have um, what they call a, a permit that you can get to basically be out of compliance, doesn't make any sense to me to start with, but essentially what they want everybody to do who is an existing grower can be grandfathered in if you pay their $1,500 fee to be able to process your out of compliance permit so
0: i time or a yearly
1: uh yearly so two hundred dollars yearly yeah that's steep and it doesn't apply to anybody any new growers so if you're not already set up you can't even you Get can't it. pay that to be able to continue to do it so they've been talking about um changing it but a lot of people just feel like it's a way for them to extort $1,500 from every existing grower or shut them down, um, which I, I think they're fine with either one of those. I think they're fine with taking your $1,500 or they're fine with shutting us down. Um, and you know, it probably leads to the same, same thing, which is that uh, it allows our Jackson County board members the ability to be able to complain about your neighbor's cannabis grow and have them shut down. But all of this is complaint-based. So if nobody complains about the strawberries, which who's going to complain about somebody growing strawberries? There nobody's going to. So they don't get a number of complaints about it. So they don't. There's no regulation. All all that stuff is all based on complaints. It's not like they're going to drive around and look for people that are out of compliance. But what it will do is allow that good old boy that doesn't want his neighbors to grow a pot. Um, can decide and say, okay, well, now I'm going to complain about this and cause a bunch of trouble and, you know, make sure that you have 100 different hoops to jump through. And that's already been known that there is at least one council member on Jackson County that wants to shut down his neighbor. (laughs) So it doesn't surprise me at all that, uh, that that kind of stuff is in there. And they've tried to add other regulations as well, but essentially it comes down to Measure 91 said they couldn't regulate it Now that it's farm use, they just regulate anything that's farm use, like it's cannabis, knowing that nobody's going to complain about anything but cannabis. So nobody's going to complain about the smell of your strawberry plants.
0: (laughs) Nobody's
1: going to complain about you growing cucumbers and mass Uh, amount.
0: I know who will complain about the strawberries. The weed grower at the end of the street is pissed off about all the damn spider mites from the freaking strawberry grow across the street from his house. Yeah.
1: He's probably loaded up on the micron filters and indoors by now, <laughs> right? But the the point is, is that they know that whatever regulations they're putting on it is going to have nothing to do with strawberries or zucchini or any of those other things that everybody knows are full well being produced and sold right there on the spot and with um, horrible pesticides, no
0: less. I'm sure they're they're using Guardian and.
1: <laughs> what do you mean? Guardian is all organic,
0: man. Actually, speaking of which, there's just two really bigger-name dispensaries in Colorado that just got busted for still pushing along uh, um, Guardian-laced products. They all tested positive for ivermectin, which was the uh, active ingredient that was hidden in the, um, in the Guardian. Guardian had ivermectin in it, for those of you that don't know. If you still haven't found out guardian is no longer okay to use. They put Abermectin avermectin in it. You don't want to be smoking avermectin. Although it does only have a, has like a two or three week half-life. So by the time you've, you harvest and dry it, assuming you're not an idiot, you know, it's, it would be relatively safe, but you still don't want to be smoking that stuff. You know, there's still residuals and right. who knows what. So, um, but any, 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 screwed. Yep. yep. And if you're, as of it's January, beginning of January of this year, um, if you're growing with that in a dispenser you can get all it colorado and oregon is i know you can get all of your product pulled immediately from the market you get recalled you get put in the paper and the news and it's bad for your business <laughs> so don't cut corners because you'll get thrown under the bus quick by everyone else that's don't use the guardian that's the that's the, <laughs> that's the yeah. short story of
1: it and, and i'm sure if you've been paying attention to like you know the pfa group or any of those other ones like steve and i have you'll you know you'll see plenty of discussion around it when it first came out and ever since then and all i can say is i really feel for any of those large growers that you know purchased the product and sprayed it on that worked so hard on every other level to make sure that they had a you know clean product for you know for a lot of times sick patients that can't tolerate anything other than um than that you know when you're (laughs) when you have a lowered immune system from cancer treatment it's a much different situation than if you're, you know, had just happened to get a little bit of moldy bud from your buddy that you smoked on the weekend. and that's
0: you know, you might get a sinus infection from it. But the cancer patient, it can kill him. And uh, so, especially when you get to concentrates, because then you're concentrating those metabolites and all those top, you know, byproducts and toxins and everything else. Right. Those
1: well, and again, a lot of those people work really hard to keep that medicine clean. So to have have that like be something completely out of your control that allows you to have to pull all that stuff and i just can't even imagine
0: being somebody in that kind of position you know it just gotta be heartbreaking Or worse yet imagine if you're like a dispensary and they ran you know one of these guys that had avermectin through an extractor and then the next guy comes through and it just didn't happen to get totally clean then they test positive for it then they look bad and they weren't even using it which has actually happened in colorado um where they found testable levels where they went and tested you know went and tested plants in the grow and they were all clean they didn't have any products in the whole place that had it but it was from the extraction equipment and their extraction, their flower tested clean, the extraction didn't. Um, so that's, you know that could have just been lazy extraction, you know, I don't know all the details on it, but that has happened or someone got, you know, at least temporarily had their stuff, um, spent it and they'll hold your stuff for 120 days in Colorado before they'll release it again for sale, depending on what the active ingredient is. But the guardian stuff was 120 days.
1: I don't know if you caught this conversation too in the um, in the PFA group about
0: um, probiotics showing up on some testing. For like- oh yeah, yeah, they're doing microbial testing now in a lot of different. Um, it was it or Oregon's doing it? And I know that Cal or Colorado's. They're they're trying to get the framework as to what's acceptable and what's not right now. I know Oregon's doing it. I think California's also. I know I, I read about there's a a group in, in Humboldt, or some uh, some group at a Humboldt that's doing some kind of big, um, uh, wider micro research project, trying to identify you know what any particular ones that are unknown. Um, I think I know they're also doing a lot of work with viruses as well. well I think that the um,
1: like the main issue is having them showing up, having probiotics showing up on like mold and mildew. Oh, for sure. They're, they're testing for strictly living organisms. And so it's uh, it's become an issue with certain labs that in their method of testing where you might have completely clean medicine, but it comes back with, because uh, they put all of them on the same scale, it comes back as having readings for mold, mildew, pesticide, and or living organisms. And so, uh, Finding a way for those labs or, or figuring out which ones I guess do and don't is important. If you grow probiotically, you're going to need to go to a lab that's able to uh, differentiate between your probiotic bacteria that's going to be living in and on and throughout your plant um, and between those living organisms and the mold and mildew that you actually do want to test for. Because uh, in Oregon, I don't know how it is in Colorado, but in Oregon, you know, I think we have a 10,000 particle limit. Um, and uh, I know some people that have had tests come back on their probiotic stuff that has at least been close to above. And it, um, it can be a tough thing for a dispensary to understand if they're not familiar with probiotics so if you do grow some stuff probiotically in an aquaponic system and soil and in any way that you're growing probiotically make sure that you if you get a test back that shows that it's high on mold or mildew you know don't necessarily trust it also you might want to look into a lab that a different lab that's able to differentiate better and i haven't even myself been able to find out um why the one particular lab that we're able to use how specifically they identify it so when I find out more information, I'll I'll try to pass it along. But just know that you can um, get a test back that that shows you might have mold or mildew on your stuff when really you don't you don't have anything at all other than just beneficial
0: bacteria. I know when we did our lab testing, the only time we ever flirted anything close to those upper levels is when we were foliar spraying pretty heavily with like uh, worm teas or compost teas. Mm-hmm. Just because you don't always have 100 percent control of what you're you know which one dominates that particular brew um depending on what you know you do always do your best but and it's not to say that there was any bad microbes that came up you know they were all fine for you know e coli and, and all the rest um but you know you're again you're like you were saying the total count comes up high and that spooks people that don't quite understand you know the reason now a great example of that would be a product like serenade um which is Bactilis, uh till so, uh, I think it's Batilla Um That's a, a probiotic microbe that, if you spray it all over your plants, is going to go around like Pac-Man and eat all your um, little uh, mold spores for powdery and mildew and anything else, and prevent them from taking off. You know. So, mm-hmm. so and that's really what you want and, and grow. So it, it really just depends on, like you were saying, you really need a good lab that is able to differentiate between all those.
1: Right, and like I said if I get some answers on how they differentiate between the two rather than just um, counting the total number of living organisms in the sample then uh, you know I'll definitely pass it into a long but right now I don't know you know if it's like a different type of test that they run it might even require like an actual person to look at it under a microscope and identify some of them um, I have a feeling that's probably more of what's happening um, whereas or, that's probably what's happening where they're differentiating between the two and when they're not differentiating the two, nobody's actually taking the time to look and say, you know, is this mold or mildew or is it actually some other
0: type of beneficial organism? Yeah, you need someone that's got a good 200X or better microscope that can actually get it, or 400X rather, a microscope that can look at those uh, microbes and really, uh I actually have a buddy of mine that uh, has one of those and he's kind of a uh, compost tea nut that's how he does it is he brews it and then he checks his count on his uh in his tray if it's not right he lets it brew longer if it's too high he'll cut it down a little and then that's how he that's what he does with his target but uh, and he's been doing it for years that way and it works yeah that's cool actually that brings up another thing When you were talking about
1: um the the teas i found that when we were brewing our teas for outdoors um to go into the soil garden um, i used a uh, filter paper out of my filter in the aquaponic system on a regular basis to essentially add ready-made bacteria into our you know the general tea mix that you would already have and found that it was it would start foaming and producing much faster in an aerated tea um, or even in the the labs mix you would start to see the natural aeration over and over so i think that uh Um, that's definitely a good thing if you're going to look into start brewing teas, um, especially the labs and different things like that. If you want to use labs to break down SSTs or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, if you have filter paper in your system anywhere, a filter of any kind, or even some media, you know, you can always toss that in there as a quick inoculant and really kick your teas
0: off pretty fast. works well. Um, yeah, so uh, one of the other uh, microbes I've actually found lately, um, there's this product. Got uh, to managed to pick some up at Indo Expo. Um, it's called Mammoth E. This is actually a phosphorus chelating, a couple of different types of phosphorus chelating microbes, and they're really, really, really awesome. Um, the other microbes I like a lot are uh, there's a company called Peta Life, and they make a lot of really good nutrient supplements, um, many of which are fish safe. Uh, not all, but most of them um and uh i really like their um their microbes as well they have a really good um blend of microbes and mycos
1: awesome yeah you should send me the link on that of stuff i think i um i also saw it on the pfa a couple of days before that too and uh you know a bunch of people were saying it was really cool and i saw some at the grow store the other day i didn't pick any up but probably gonna pick some up and probably throw in my worm bin or maybe even throw it right in the beds See
0: yeah, you can put it right in your water and doesn't harm the fish at all and it, it works great. Um, awesome. I really, really like that stuff.
2: Nice.
0: The other stuff that I, uh, I got sent right late recently, um, the uh, shrills sent me um, a couple of different um, pesticides that are essential oil-based and we're going to give them a test. Um, I have a small oil test system. Uh, we're going to check them for fish safeness first and then we'll uh, We'll see how they do, but I appreciate them sending us some, some stuff to test, and uh, just wanted to shout out to them. Yeah, speaking of that, I got
1: a sample here. Of, actually, it's a greenhouse material. <coughs> this is from a company called Solera Wrap. And uh, it's essentially, if I can get it down here to where you guys can see it, it's essentially bubble wrap. And uh, it's very thick. Each one of these bubbles is an individual insulation pocket. And then it just has these channels that it slides into. So you can tack this channel up anywhere on your greenhouse or hoop house or whatever you have and uh, stretch it over the top or make walls out of it. And you can tack right through the middle. There's a large section here that you can either screw through the middle or nail through the middle um, or even uh, just set up hooks for it so that you can then roll it up the way it is now. So they're actually going to send me an entire greenhouse with this material so that I can Documented on the YouTube channel and uh, hopefully get them some some attention around that. It's extremely tough. You know, it's rated for three feet of snow load and 140 mile per hour winds. So it's, uh, um, I'd mentioned this to you before too. Here in Jackson County, we have specific regulations that you have to meet if you want to have a grow uh, or, excuse me, a greenhouse over 500 square feet. It has to be permitted. And part of that permit process you'd have to use your greenhouse has to be able to withstand, I think it's two feet snow load and 120 mile per hour winds. And this is one of the few materials that I found to be able to do that. Now my greenhouse is not that big. Um, it's about ten feet by 40 feet. And I have two of those. So we're gonna do comparison grows. Uh, one's gonna be covered in six mil plastic and the other one's gonna be covered in a solar wrap. And uh, so you look for that on the YouTube channel as well. Um, you can kind of check out and see how that goes. Uh, these are just the samples they sent me to measure on my greenhouse and, uh, they're shipping out the entire roll. they will be big, long 40 foot sheets, uh, that will essentially just slide into those, uh, rails that I put onto the greenhouse frame. So, um, that was definitely, definitely cool of them and, uh, really excited to kind of see how that stuff works out at, a lot of really good numbers on it for light diffusion It still looks like somewhere around like 80 percent transparency so that's relatively high um for those of you researching greenhouse materials definitely check them out and uh i can't say much about how they work yet because I, I don't know but it definitely looks good and i uh, appreciate them uh, sending out the sample and um, supporting us so thanks to them
0: very cool the only other uh, company that I wanted to plug real quick is um, uh, this is a product I'm using at the moment for my nutrient needs for supplementing and uh, the soil layer. Um, it's a, uh, basically a specifically door root zoned uh, product made by the gentleman I was telling you about earlier, Vlad Jovanovich. Mm-hmm. Um, he owns a company called Atria Aquagardens, um, AtriaAquagardens.com, and I just wanted to plug him. Um, right now, he gave me a whole uh, a whole full run to do um, to test. With his new formula, um, so I just wanted to plug him, um, thank him for that. Awesome. Um, so, uh, did you see uh, the Cannabis Cup got moved out of Colorado uh, after having it, 80 million?
1: Um, I think yeah. he a couple of weeks ago, and uh, yeah. it doesn't surprise me, I guess, in a way, you know. It,
0: Colorado's ruining such a, a good opportunity to uh, to make so much money. I mean, they have all these different beer festivals. They have the X Games and all this other stuff. We can't, you know, where people are actively trying to kill themselves. Why can't we Why can't we have a, a cannabis festival, you know? It just doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. And, um, I mean, unless you, you know, are obviously more opposed to cannabis than you are in favor of money. Right. <laughs> that's really what it comes down to.
0: There's, no. Especially when, the, especially when our governor owns a bunch of breweries. Like he's a bunch of a hu- hugely invests in the the uh, industry. And I think he owns a brewery or, or a tap room or something. And it's like, well, yeah, it's direct competition with you. That's why you're being a jackass about it. But they they got to, it was originally supposed to be a five day event in Denver. Then they got bumped down to a three-day event in Pueblo, and then now it's out in California, and they just gave up entirely. And then um, there is a thing called the Colorado Cup that's going on. Um, I don't know who's putting it on, but there is going to be a small public event. And then there's – for anyone that's coming out to Colorado that was coming out for the Cup, um, you can always go to Civic Center Park, which is pretty much the capital of – it is the capital down in Denver. And they have a huge 420 party where you can – Pull a couple ounces out of your pocket, and no one's gonna—you know—they're checking you for weapons. And as long right. as you don't have a gun on you, um, you're good to go. But you can have a huge blunt, you can have—you know—a bong, whatever. Doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that they're—I just can't believe the amount of money that they're willing to throw away. I know. For some like ridiculous principle that their grandpa taught him 30 years ago. You know, like I just it. it it baffles me, especially when, like, a lot of them are going to be conservatives, right? Um, and what what do they preach all the time? They want deregulation. They want the government to not be involved. They want them to be smaller and not bigger and regulate less. Oh, unless it comes to cannabis, then I want you to put every fucking regulation that you could ever think of in every loophole in front of them and make sure that you smack them the fuck around at the same time because... because really just their own attitude about it so it amazes me how how fast so many of them so many conservatives just completely turn into like now you're all of a sudden in favor of regulation and government handling it and like how you know it just doesn't make any sense i mean it does make sense to me it just makes me sad i guess ultimately is what it comes down to like people that are are so stuck in a lie that's so old um you know maybe we're conditioned that way to a certain extent um, to believe a lot of those that have been around for a long time. But uh, I, I definitely think they need to get over it and realize that, you know, so many things that they complain about will be fixed by just dropping their shitty attitudes. You know, like the, I've seen in my own hometown in Northern California, the same, same sort of attitude, you know, like growers come in big and, you know, it's been a lot of like Mexican cartels and like all these different, uh, People that aren't come in a lot of times are like tweakers that trim and, you know, different things like that. They really do kind of give the industry a bad name. But the reason that part of the industry exists is because it's illegal. If, If you had the ability for your brother or your sister or your niece or whoever it is that needs a job to be able to go and harvest a product and take care of it and, get paid a decent wage for providing a product that's going to be sold locally. And um, there's really no reason why. The reason that the people are there that you don't want there is because you won't let the people that are there do it, A, legally, B, without an extreme amount of guilt, judgment, and really just unnecessary attitude towards them. If you really just dropped all that stuff, then you would have all the people that you want to benefit from it, benefiting from it, and you wouldn't have those other people in town those tweakers that are migrant workers that are coming in and out of town and all that type of stuff the reason the cartels you know we've already seen that happen in a lot of different places where um like even again in my own town in northern california since medical was legalized years ago there it allowed at least some people to get a foothold against against them and uh, a lot of the cartels have started to go to start producing back down in other areas now or going farther out. Um, and I think any way we drive them out it, um, is really beneficial. And that's why I think they become extremely short sighted in their perspective on um, trying to regulate out, like, like what Jackson County is doing right now here locally. They've essentially shut down every small grower that's on residential or urban residential land. Right now, you're either shut down or you're extorted for $1,500. Those are your options. So I definitely think by doing that, you're just making room for the people that you don't want to do it, um, come in and do it. Like some it's really similar to the logging industry also. Like uh, here, I grew up in the logging community, and we had a lot of very respectful loggers, a lot of people that planted six trees for every one that they took out and made sure that they were left Um, was stuff that would regrow. The whole point was to thin out the forest, allow it to be healthy, treat it like a crop, make a profit on it, but do it in a responsible way. And then you had very large corporations doing large clear cuts that would come in and just wipe out and rape whatever land that they could get their hands on. And when those people were shut down, when they went after the logging industry the way they did in the early 90s, it did just the opposite of what they wanted. Every small <clears throat> responsible logger was shut down. And the only ones that were left logging were the ones that had made huge profits off of irresponsible logging. So now you just took out everybody who was doing it right, left the ones that were doing it wrong, and sent all of that business off overseas where we buy so many, so much lumber from Canada and from Japan and different places now that are not practicing the same types of regulation that we want. i are seeing the same pattern here with cannabis, and that you're going to shut down the people that are doing it right so that the people can come in from out of state with large corporate interests that are going to come in and be able to take advantage of the vacuum that they created through legislation. And, um, you know, I, I really hope that a lot of like you have a lot of places that are fighting it, like Right to Grow Southern Oregon, check out our Facebook group. Um, there's a lady named Sandy Diesel uh, who and Scotty Diesel, both of them, I should give them both tons of credit, that have organized that have gotten uh, uh, protests put in place at the different meetings, attended all the meetings. Um, They have attorneys that they have met with that are preparing class action action lawsuits against Jackson County for misinterpreting uh, the state legislation about extractors and about grows. So there there is a lot of great stuff that's happening that you can get involved with and should get involved with so that you know we can try and save the people that are already doing it responsibly. And I'm all for shutting down the ones that do it irresponsibly. I don't have an issue with, with that, but that's not what's happening here. It's not what happened back then. And I hate to see history repeat itself. So if you're if you're in the area or if you just want to get involved, you know, like I said, check out Right to Grow Southern Oregon Facebook page um there's also a right to grow organ page uh, so any of those types of movements you can get involved in and also any type of legislation you have in your local area at all about cannabis get involved and make your opinion known because um even when your opinion is known it's going to be tough for them to deal with but they still they still need to hear it they need to hear it often and unless you're there and saying it often
0: then they're not even going to listen to it or account for it so be heard Definitely. Um, a lot of, and you know, take the time to write your congressman, send them those links, you know, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, California, there's so many good news stories now of children and families and all kinds of people that have been helped so much, uh, especially people with seizure disorders and cancer and other, you know, really debilitating diseases. Um, you can watch but, it on camera. You can watch seizures stop on camera.
1: They take the yep. medicine. See, Within I mean, just a couple a minute. of minutes. So there's plenty of evidence
0: right in their face. That's a great point. So my sister uh, has a pretty bad seizure disorder. She got um, mysteriously after uh, a few minutes after getting a uh, really, really heavy dose uh, hospital level flu shot. And she's been having seizures ever since then. Um, and then my cousin also has a seizure disorder. And um, I'm really happy today um, because uh, Pennsylvania, my home, my home state, where I grew up uh, originally. Yeah, my sister and my uh, my cousin live. Um, they actually just legalized uh, medical marijuana today. It um, passed the uh, oh, that. Yeah, passed the house and the senate after a long battle, of like eight eight year battle um, at least trying to get that through. Um, so hopefully by the end of the year, both my relatives will be able to get medicine. It really hits close to home. Um, I know a lot of different people that have had their lives dramatically affected um, um myself i have celiac disease and um before i discovered cannabis oil and cannabis um i, I was losing so much weight and um even on a restricted diet you know you still have some other issues and you know taking cannabis oil really edibles really helps me uh, especially if i'm cross-contaminated you know that it's either I can lay in pain for three days and feel like there's a ferret running through my intestines or I can take a bunch of oil and a couple of edibles and you know, maybe a day I'm going to be in discomfort, but the severity and the impact on my health, my ability to get back to work and all that stuff is just so much helped by it. Right. And it's, you know,
1: there's so many different applications to that that, you know, you know, for me personally, I started out with medical because the um, I was in a motorcycle accident when I was a teenager and my shoulder's been messed up pretty much ever since um, and uh, anytime I exert myself like playing basketball was probably the main one love to play basketball played all through high school played all four years um, you know and uh, so after any time after the accident I played much basketball at all my shoulder would get really sore I get um, has nerve damage in it so it get sort of tingly down the side um all the way down my arm and uh would really hurt at night trying to sleep and so one of my old hippie buddies from down in eureka one time happened and this was long before i was probably this is probably uh 14 years ago something like that and uh so salves were not really a big thing other than you know some relatively small circles and uh at least I'd never been exposed to them before and I've been exposed to plenty of weed. So um, I, man, he gave me that stuff and I it was like a little jar of it. And uh, he just said to put some on before I go to sleep. And I just took it from more just to be nice than anything. I actually didn't even really plan on using it. And it sat on my dresser for a very long time, probably like a month and a half to two months before I was just having a lot of trouble sleeping one night. And I just said, you know what, I'm gonna give it a try. It was sitting right there didn't have to get up or anything and rub that stuff on. And for the first time in a long time, I slept for like eight straight hours. And, uh, you know, pretty much ever since then, I was I was a believer of it for things other than just getting high, you know. It was definitely uh, an understanding that I was raised with for a long time. I didn't even start smoking until just after high school. So for me, it would, I have a different experience than what some other people do. But um, even after I smoked it for a while, I still didn't understand that it was for Um, that it could be for much more than just getting high. Not that that's not fun and I don't enjoy it, but it's definitely good for way more than that.
0: Especially there's so many strains now, you know, you can find something that's dialed in and every day there's more and more strains specifically designed for different diseases. It really is, um, you know, there's so much reason being done about the different cannabinoids i know thcv and cbd both have been studied for um and cbn all three have been studied for um, epilepsy and seizures um and you know you really need to look at and research your particular disease and find out which of your your cannabinoids or terpenes you need to to get you going yeah there's some great like pie charts and
1: stuff you know where it shows the the different kinds um you know even like with the different smell terpenes and all that kind of stuff what they're used for and um so there, there's a lot of great links out there if you start looking up that stuff and you can kind of get an idea of what you know what types of things what types of strains that you can you can go for like uh, Leafly has some great information like lists for ptsd or anxiety or different stuff my wife struggles with anxiety on a regular basis and um, so you know we've researched different strains to help her out and dialed in um different stuff so that she was able to get off the of Adderall, and um and uh so that that was definitely um another one of those moments where you kind of realize that it's really it's not a medicine just like a one medicine it's not like just ibuprofen it's like a yeah. whole cabinet that you can draw from um that you never drew from before and so for for her you know this hercule strain that i showed you guys already This one that was growing out there, this is the one-to-one CBD. (coughs)
2: Uh,
1: Well, it's advertised as one-to-one, but this particular strain, this particular bud here we had tested and it came back the 14, I think it's 14.8 or 14.9 and 19.5 on THC. And it happens to be, you know, just the right mixture for for what she needs to be able to treat both her sciatica and her um, ADHD, anxiety symptoms. So um, it just happens to be one of the one of the better ones, and awesome. uh, we also have train rank which is growing in the system right now, which is one of the. If you look at Leafly, it's one of the ones that's listed as the higher um, higher usage for ADHD and anxiety, PTSD, pretty much any of those psychological treatments. Um, AP stuff. <laughs> nice.
0: What do you got there? This, uh, these are all Bruce Banner. Well, oh, I'll take it back. These two are Bruce Banner. Nice. Nice, mm-hmm. decent ones. And then this one's a um, Lemon Haze.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, I have. Uh, this is from the <laughs> System. This is the Platinum Delight. Nice. You see the purples in there? If I can get it focused good enough, it's all right. And, you know, it's just a high THC. It's uh, platinum cookies crossed with blue power. And uh, it's a great tasting strain, it's extremely fruity, Um, almost tastes like grape Kool Aid. I guess the best thing, it's really sweet smelling like that. It's kind of like when you were a kid and you make Kool-Aid by yourself and there's like that layer of sugar at the bottom. Like that's how syrupy it smells. It's very sweet, very like. And then let's see, we had a, this is blue cheese. And uh, it was, you know, your classic cheese structure. So it, um, it definitely
0: uh. There's a there's another topic we could talk about.
1: <laughs> What's that?
0: Oh, the yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. Now I,
1: maybe I don't know. We the uh, okay. So there's,
0: there's a company. There's a company out there called Big Butter Seeds, and uh, this guy has attempted to copyright um, uh, the phrase "cheese" in regards to cannabis trademarks and copyright so he's sending out these illegal takedown notices that have no first off in u.s court copyright law and trademark law are federal there is no state level for either of those and since cannabis is still federally illegal you can't put a trademark on something that's federally illegal you can't trademark cocaine you know i can't trademark um ecstasy you know it's illegal Uh, on a federal level. So first off, anyone who sent one in the U.S., that's an illegal notice. Like You're not allowed to send false legal notices, especially cease and desist. That's actually a crime in a lot of states. Um, And then he's doing the same thing over in Europe. Again, in Europe, you have to back it up with a genetic lineage and prove that you developed the strain. Cheese has been around for at least 12 years that I have been around, and I'm sure it's been longer than that because I haven't been around the block anywhere near as long as, you know, a lot of the people that are two or three times my age. So right. this guy got to come out of nowhere and try and claim that he owns the right to cheese and cheese genetics is just total bullshit, and he has no legal standing for it. Neither is it any kind of defensible in court, so for him to have to go out and make these claims and send these illegal takedown notices is just ridiculous.
1: Plus, it's in the name. It's called UK Cheese.
0: And the dude yeah. is not
1: in the uk you know what
0: um, i mean exactly the guy that originally developed it um was based out of the uk um just like you were saying so and the big butter cheese uh or big butter seeds i think is based out of the netherlands if memory serves me right someone can can double click on that but um i know that uh um you know they're just that's a huge controversy because Um, it's bad enough when you have big pharma and all these other jackasses trying to patent and copyright individual terpenes and chemical compounds, which, again, is illegal because it's just in a plant. If it's all over the world, you can't. Now, if you can find a way to extract it, then, yeah, you could do that. But, um, um, you know, you can't just patent something just because it's in a plant, like cannabidiol or THC. Like, you can't do that. Um,
1: Right. Which he's, you know, he's – He's basically just trying to patent the name cheese, is what it comes down to, and so well, obviously that's not what's actually in the plant. So I understand that it's a gray area, but at the same
0: time, like, what are you thinking, man? Like, yeah, seriously, no one's—you're gonna get such a giant target on your head, and no one's gonna buy anything from you just because you're basically going to war with the entire like gr- smaller grower market. What? Who the hell's gonna support you? Well, yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, you already look at ICMAG,
1: Mag, the 420.com yeah. forums, the every group that we're that I've been in, the PFA group, the PFA tester group, the um, you know just random bud porn Facebook groups that I'm a member of. Every one of them has had that dude's face on it that says, "Don't buy any of his shit." Yeah. Like, Really, just a super bad move.
0: Like, yeah, I've seen at least eighty posts, like just like you were saying, all over the internet with his face and the company logo saying "Do not support this asshole," and it's and just, you couldn't find a like an
1: active weed grows growers forum yeah. anywhere that doesn't have this guy's face on it that says "Bug away, don't buy any of it." Sure. So, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how it's gonna end up, and the issue is, is that. He's already got it.
0: He's already got the stuff. Like they've already they granted it to him. Which is well, first off, the fact that the patent off or a copyright off is granted it to him was bullshit. But second off, like now he has to defend it in court. And the moment that he goes up against anybody else that has money, they're gonna school him,
1: right? And in between, then he's gonna lose the business that he has because nobody (laughs) wants nobody wants to buy from somebody that tried to steal. Even in just the name, <coughs> it ain't yours, man. Don't take it. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't care if it is a smart idea, the trade market, or you thought you were gonna make millions of dollars or whatever. Like you're still a douchebag, right?
0: <laughs> have you uh, Have you seen? There's a guy, in, I think he's in Denver. I could be wrong on that part, but I know that. The company, I think, the company he owns is based in Denver, and they do isolated terpenes. I think it's Blue River Extracts or something, but they're low enough in THCa to where they're technically federally shippable across state lines. Right. Um, that's always questionable, depending on the chemist. <laughs> well, but, uh yeah, there's no chemist sorting at the post office, so. Yeah, I mean, you get a vial with
1: a powder in it. You're asking. Trouble no matter what. I think, I mean, at (laughs) least, like, you know, nobody wants eight week shipping times, you know what I mean? Like, even if you, it's going to get pulled and flagged because nobody's going to know the difference between CBD oil and THC oil. Even, even you and I couldn't tell the difference just
0: looking at it without equipment. Yeah. Or at least tying a little bit of it. Um, but, um, I think I'm hoping that it'll start to be available like in dispos because I've heard some pretty awesome things about its medical applicability and um, the guy that invented it, like invented the specific extraction method, but he, apparently he's been like pretty cool about, I guess there's, he's not keeping a total monopoly on Like he has the patents on him or whatever, but he's, um, I, I saw an interview with him and he seemed like he was pretty, pretty cool about um, trying to like bring that production more into the market. Cause it has a lot of its own medical values that are totally different than the the cannabinoids that we've all been studying for so long. You know, what was it? There was only like two of the um, two or three of the uh, uh, terpenes weren't even named until like super recently. Anyway, um, there was That's one like named last year or whatever. There's like <laughs> I mean, or something like that, right? Isn't there? I can't. Um, I mean, there's eight that. There's eight that I've seen listed that can I think can be isolated, or that they've managed to like isolate enough to figure out what they are. There's there like I, more. I know on the list for when you get the, um,
1: on the lab that we work with now, you can choose to test for turbines, and there's at least eight or nine of them listed there that you can get results for, so know. Yeah.
0: But it's, I was bringing that up because it's cool to see someone like him who's kind of doing the opposite of, like, the Buddha cheese guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, be, help, like, and and not trying to just be a huge dick. Um, and it was just kind of... It was funny to see both of those topics come up, like, one right after another those past couple weeks and, and seeing how, uh, you know, all of a sudden seeing a lot about those terpenes, all, you know, after having, you know, at least the isolated ones um, weren't available here until uh, super recent. Well, have you read about the recent studies on the entourage effects, also?
1: Whether essentially it's the the effect of multiple, both multiple of the, yeah, yeah. the synergy of the cannabinoids. Yeah, multiple cannabinoids working better together than separately. So, um, yeah, you know, the, the concept is, is that even CBD is better off delivered with THC. It's more effective in the stuff that CBD does and vice versa. THC is more effective when CBD is present for the stuff that THC does. So it's, uh, you know, the same thing, basically the more that are there, the better. And that's kind of the same thing about the terpenes. So that's why you had a lot of different, you had, you know, a lot of different old timers that have been preaching about that for a while. Like, you know, the Jack Herrer, uh, you know he preached about terpene profiles you know for years and years now so um, it's neat to see some of those older concepts that had been proven really in a number of, of uh, different areas I know that guy did a, a whole lot. I've read a lot of different information about the stuff that he did with uh, you know genetics and um, how the Jack Harris strain sort of like was his culmination of of that and how many people have been in like saying that they haven't and don't and so it's really a um an interesting strain story i guess if you want to read through one of them it's almost like chernobyl is a really interesting strain story where it's basically just a bag seed nobody really knows what the hell it is um so it's just one of those things somebody decided to pop the seed and happened to turn out really well and didn't hermaphrodite and cuts been around ever since so there's a there's a few different strange stories like that that are are pretty cool who knows which ones are true and which ones aren't but um obviously the jack harrow one is pretty well documented the the guy has has a pretty pretty large amount of work that you can go through and check out if you really want to get into it and I, i highly recommend it if that's the kind of thing you're interested in he's probably you know, again, one of the real old-timers that was preaching about terpene profiles way before it was cool or named, for that matter.
0: Um, the other, uh, the other thing I saw that happened the uh, last day or two is Florida is um, considering uh, finally allowing a uh, medical, uh, full plant medical for um, uh, terminally ill patients, um, which is a start for Florida considering how awful their last couple of bills have been and the the whole Charlotte's web only bill, which was completely bullshit um, and and all that stuff. And then uh, Humboldt, there's a distillery in Humboldt now making a cannabis infused vodka. They somehow managed to get licensed in California, which is kind of insane. (laughs) Yeah. Half of my family is from Humboldt, just south
1: of uh, Eureka, a little place called Garberville and uh, you know it's right in the heart of the emerald triangle and so if you've ever been in that area you would know you know sort of the saying only in humboldt as it goes that's you know, really probably the only place that you get a place like that license only in humboldt. that's pretty much it it'd be really tough anywhere else but it doesn't surprise me a bit that it's in humboldt it's really a different uh environment there have you ever been
0: to that area there on the north coast like humboldt trinity mindo I haven't uh, had a chance to, to cruise through there. yet. I've been to Southern California, but I haven't had a chance to check out Northern California. Yeah, it's really plays by its own rules. You know, it's like you're
1: even back when it was, you know, really super duper illegal, and still everybody grew. It was basically, you know, there was no medical, there was no nothing, and um, even then, you know, people used to used to say you you think they were joking, but the The real concern with the police was getting pulled over with shitty weed if they couldn't confiscate your weed that was decent and be able to take it and smoke it or sell it then uh that was when you got busted you were more likely to get busted with like you know an ounce of shake or a bag of trim in the back or and and with nothing for them to take and confiscate and let you go (laughs) with a warning um that that was really the issue so my my brother, at uh, numerous times, just almost always had like, you know, an ounce of really good weed stashed somewhere in his car, so that if he pulled it over, he would allow them to confiscate it very graciously, and then be able to drive on his way. So those are the kind of rules you play by in uh, in Humboldt. It's a different different world.
0: Used to, I used to, uh, I used to uh, allegedly um, do something similar when I was. Uh, Traveling a lot in Canada, yeah, they tend to enjoy their smoke quite a bit as well.
1: Yeah, so there's there's plenty of stories around that. And that's that's good fun. It's a great area if you can ever visit there. If you really want to sort of hit up the the hardcore sort of Emerald Triangle scene, there's always reggae on the river. Is a huge reggae event um, happens every year. And, just basically just a giant festival in the redwoods. It's pretty much as as hippie as you can get, I suppose. And uh, you get get all kinds there, Um, but uh, it's a beautiful place to live, visit, um, and best weed in the world,
0: as far as I'm concerned, other than aquaponic weed, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something else, you know, aquaponic weed, especially if you finish it off right with a little bit of sweeteners, uh, right at the end, at least i found, especially in the dual root zone, you know, the last four, four, four to six weeks, they'll start watering in molasses. And man, you get such a good-tasting bud, and you can let them fish feed, right. At, you know, stop feeding with fertilizer the last four weeks, just like you would flush normally, but in a dual root zone anyway. Um, and then um, just, you know, keep giving them the micro boosts into the soil, and then, you know, just give them some water and let them get fish feed all the way to the end. And you'll end up with just a fast-tasting stuff. You know, it'll get real heavyweight, especially right at the end. As long as you uh, you haven't done right, right. the last week or two, it really both And AP especially.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I've found that every every strain that I've grown in aquaponics has has turned out like sweeter or more vibrant. Like the yeah cheese smells more like cheese, and the. Um, than it does in soil. And, um, you know, it's the lemon OG that I grew, I grew that same cut both in soil and in uh, in aquaponics. And even in the real basic first time them I did first off, it was just the amount of crystallization on the buds was higher in aquaponics. The smell was more potent and, and sweeter or more vibrant. That's really the best way that I can explain it because you know, the lemon OG was more of a pungent smell than it was sweet, but it still had, you know, a sweeter element as opposed to, like, a chemical smell to it. Um, So more like a lemon drop than a lemon cleaner, you know, is kind of the comparison that I would make to that. So for whatever reason behind it, and I don't add any sugar. I don't add any molasses. I did, I think, maybe twice um, total in my second run, and that was – that was the only time that i put anything in and again it just seemed like more work for not much benefit in my my particular area so i uh i stopped doing that altogether too i don't didn't flush at all i maintained the whole thing all the way through to the end and basically when i hit about 40 to 50 percent amber trichomes that's when i cut down um i did have the the mango pretty much finished on its own like even though it was just it, you know obviously still had nutrients available to it it um it did shut down in the same way that a plant was shut down i mean it it knew it was time and uh, started dropping shade leaves and you know yellowing out and sort of doing the buds were hardening up and it ambered way sooner than the other plants did it was the first one that i cut down so all those signals that for whatever reason that that mango kush got it its signal and, and triggered to be able to do that but like the platinum delight and the other ones Honestly, if I wasn't having issues with, like, uh, um, caterpillars were starting to show up at different points in the soil garden out back, and I didn't want them to start migrating in and uh, dealing with that, and it was uh, getting really late in the year. I didn't cut down, I think, till like, the first week of November, and they were still hardening up and still getting bigger. And so, you know, I know that's, you know, again, that's this bud right here that was already extremely hard and dense but it probably could even win another week and uh, so it turned out amazing sweet I don't flush I don't do
0: any of that and it still comes out in my opinion sweeter and better than oh yeah for sure if you're just using AP water you don't need to flush because you don't have any chemical anything to worry about. there's nothing to flush out of the plant that was a problem to begin with you know that and you can feed all the way to right the end you know which is so nice right
1: and so and then um in my first grow i'd actually cut back on fish feed to try and help the nitrogen stay down lower in the system before i started doing the cover cropping uh, but now that i do the cover or companion cropping whatever you want to call it and i put the other greens in there i don't even cut back on fish food it's just all the same all the way through and uh that that's what i did on that outdoor system and uh, what i'm doing indoors right now and Everything's going really well. So I've, I've been really happy with it. I try to, I've to. i had a couple of different people that I know are trying it based after seeing, you know, grows like ours on there, which is really cool. I get messages from some of those people out of the Facebook group and stuff. They send me pictures of their plants and um, it's really neat to see, uh, you know, like I think somebody posted one on the comment the other day. He had just a little one in on the top of his fish yep. tank. And, uh, and I love that stuff. That stuff is so awesome. And, and I know that he knows that it's going to outgrow that, you know.
0: Oh yeah, the aqua farm. There was a guy. There was yeah. a guy that had his six. Is some guy in Colorado, and he had his six plants on the top of an aqua farm, in like Rockwall. It was, it was hysterical. <laughs>
1: so, uh, and so you know, it takes all kinds. Obviously, you get uh, you get people to understand that it's going to outgrow that system, and they're just experimenting with it. And that that's that's cool and awesome. And then sometimes you get the people that are like check out this super awesome system that I build. It's, you know, it's way awesome. You can learn from it and you, you know, it's like a, you know, PVC with holes drilled in the top of it and their plants are like this tall and buds all swaggy and it's like, oh yeah, great. You know, there's definitely that element to it. But the ones that are just like, you know, you, I'm glad that I had somebody that documented this and said, you know, like you can do it if you just do a couple of things. Um, you know, that just somebody that was saying positive things about growing it, because I'm sure you ran into the same thing I did, which was cannabis growers, no way, don't do it. Aquaponics growers talking about cannabis, no way, don't do it. Both both were extremely, whichever one you talked to, were both extremely opposed to doing it. And so it probably set me back, like, uh, probably a solid year of not doing it just because people were so negative about it before, you know, I started getting, uh, again, it was the tomatoes for me personally, like, once I had a tomato that was, like, this big around or I had a cherry tomato plant that had one fruit trellis that had, like, 32 tomatoes on it, I was like, come on. <laughs> if I can if I can do that, obviously, I can at least grow some decent weed for myself to smoke and not really have it cost me that much money. Um, so,
0: yeah, and it's definitely done that for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit cheaper, too. You don't have to... I know even I've fertilized a lot heavier than you do and it still costing me about 35 percent of what I was doing before when I was just doing soil or hydro in terms of nutrients so yeah I think my I calculated my outdoor grow cost me about 20
1: bucks so basically that's just for fish food and power for the pump and uh, power for the aerator and uh, you know the fish food for the entire grow, and everything else was just waste from my house—just fruit scraps, banana peels, apple cores. All you use iron a little bit though, right? What's what? that?
0: You Use iron though, right? No, I don't. I use well water, so yeah, has well, a well, lot. So well, okay, well that's, yeah. that's cheating. That's not cheating. <laughs> uh, and it's actually I love the with a high ppm level in your tap water. <laughs> Yeah,
1: no I, don't I don't mess with, you know, you guys have it way harder, I understand. But you also have to understand, too, that it's literally the only positive thing that you get out of having hard water. Everything else about having hard water sucks other than your garden. It ruins your plumbing. It You know, like, if you don't want it to ruin your plumbing, you have to put a really expensive water softener in. Like, it you know, like, it ruins your appliances. Your fridge will last half as long if you've got, like, a little water dispenser in it. Um, You have to replace the filter twice as often. Um, Your water heater will get calcified and blow up. It's like twice as fast, not literally blow up, but stop heating water, which is sort of what it's supposed to do. So there's a ton of negative things about having it. But if you have well water or groundwater, aquaponics is an awesome solution for you because you don't have to supplement that much stuff, Um, especially your macronutrients, which can be a little bit more difficult to manage um like iron <clears throat> for instance like you were just talking about is you know you can put insulated iron obviously a lot of people um are doing that but i don't have to do that and if you're on well water or groundwater odds are you probably won't have to do it that much either still obviously read your plans and put in stuff that you need but for me personally between the the worm bin and the well water um i pretty much can solve any uh issues that way so Yes, it is cheating a little bit. I'll admit it, but it's the only way that I get to cheat, and it makes up for all the other crap I have to deal with from hard water.
0: I have pretty hard water too, but uh, I end up having a dose, or I end up with a lot of calcium. But we don't have hardly—it's all granite, it's like dolomite rock, right? So we don't have hardly any iron, but we have lots of, you know, I don't, I don't, I have really good calcium base, you know, and I'm halfway there with my calcium and my water, so that works. But um. Which is probably great for your pH buffer. Probably once you get it to where yeah, you're pretty stable. it's high in pH. So when I'm topping them off, you know, it works out real well for at least helping to maintain it. The issue is you don't always want to do that because, especially in flower, you're wanting to dose your pH up to add more calcium or add more potassium. At least in my the way that I use it. So um, you know, right. it's not you don't always want total stability. <laughs> what do you keep your pH at most of the time? Um, most of the time, I'm using potassium bicarbonate or uh, calcium carbonate in um, the blue moon I'll use potassium silica um, uh, if I need to um, or yeah that, that's the other one that I use um, and then um, that's mostly what I use for pH up is those three cool yeah, yeah def-
1: it, mine's high in pH as well it usually runs about eight out of the tab so you know it's you know end up having to deal with that and then I just use pH down um, and very like a capful, basically, um, in the sump tank. Let it sort of take about 20 minutes for it to really get through the system, and then I test it again, and usually at least 20, 30 minutes between dosing and get it down to where, where I want it to go. But like you were saying, if I just top off the tanks, I do that pretty regularly, like once every three to five days, then it'll just regulate itself. And yep. I don't have to adjust it at all, but if for whatever reason you have to do a water change or you get a leak or You know any of those different things that happen to where you have to put in a lot of water then We're that's when we start switching over and then the the pH down I use is mostly phosphoric acid um, uh, General hydro I think is the one who makes it if okay. And uh, if you look at on the back, it'll say most of the time you know I actually looked up the info on their website too and it's like Something like 90% phosphoric acid and a little bit of citric. So try to stay away from the harsher acids like citric, um, and stick with a little bit softer scale phosphoric acid. Um, and then also, if you're neutralizing phosphorus, phosphoric acid, then you know some of that's actually going to become available. Um, not much of it, but some of it will become available. And also, if you're using, if you have uh, like I have calcium, I think it's bicarbonate, right? That is, um, that's going to be coming out in my well water, which it is, is carbonate. carbonate. So that, <clears throat> so that will be also be neutralized by the phosphoric acid. That's essentially what is taking out the pH buffer, and those two neutralizing each other has a small amount of benefit to it as well. So. If you're going to use pH down, I recommend phosphoric acid over any of the other ones.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of other tricks you can do too. So, if you have a really big new system, like a, and it even works for smaller systems too, but um, if you have a really large system and you just need to adjust it in the beginning, you know, I have a whole greenhouse size system or something, um, you can actually use dry ice. The uh, CO2 that gets put off into the water when it boils off into the water creates carbonic acid. Um, which then dissolves the um, uh, dissolves the carbon uh, carbonates in the water and um, helps lower the pH um, and then that'll totally the pH. and it's the cheapest way you know you can adjust a uh, 10 or 20 thousand gallon system for 20 or 40 bucks worth of, of um, dry ice you know it doesn't take a whole lot you know you're looking at like a block per four or five thousand gallons right and just, um, just to a problem, that's know, for or ph with no fish in it
1: yeah right <laughs> don't put dry ice in with your fish and yeah. come back and yell at us later just just yeah. to be, not with fish but no that you're right that is a great way of very cheaply doing a large system starting out and obviously before you know you don't want to like inoculate it or do any of that other stuff beforehand you know just you know be wasting your time but uh, if you <laughs> fill it up PH it inoculate it cycle it you know in that order that's going to be absolutely your your cheapest way to Get a large amount of water brought down. So any of you guys looking
0: at large systems um, Make sure you check in the dry ice. Yeah, it's about a quarter of the cost of phosphoric acid or even marianic acid to do that if you look at like cost per gallon and shifted pH or gallon is dropped Um All the different ways. I used to use that for poi ponds. We'd have customers, and it's ludicrously high pH, and we kept our water at like seven. And if their tap waters or the the ponds at like eight when I fill it up because they had you know a brand new pond, I can't put them in there. It'll kill them. So So, they'll go through pH shock. So that was the way you know cheapest way that we could come up with to do it, and it works well. Some I mean, you're going to have you might have to add a lot of pH up, and it'll take about two hours to fully boil off. Um, and then you you know just p bring it back up to the level you want. Sometimes you you can overshoot it, um, depending on how much you put in there. But it's no big deal because it's a lot easier just to add pH up and then you know okay now I got good calcium or potassium or um, and whatever else it is that you uh, you know or potassium silicate. You know, if you're going to use that to to raise your potassium and silica, um, which is really good for flour. Um,
1: right, and the the dry ice is going to be more of an all you know like overall thorough job um yep. where it might be a little harder to calculate exactly how much phosphoric acid you would need because it's going to depend on whatever buffer level you have in there already yep. so you might need way more than you think you do or you might need way less than you think you do but yep. the way dry ice is quarter of the cost and will wipe yep. out the whole thing whatever needs to be done and then like you said you can rebuild from there if you need to reinoculate cycle add ph up or odds are you don't even need to add pH up you could probably just add some of your existing high pH water to it and start mixing it if you really want. I mean that's how I bring pH up I don't I'll don't ever buy a pH up or use any sort of pH up because I could probably bottle my water and sell it as pH up
2: so, high.
1: so I don't ever i don't ever worry about that but you um, again large systems dry ice is probably gonna be your way to go even cost comparison is gonna be tough to do because if your water has a large amount, a large pH buffer in it already, it's going to take even more than you think. It's got less, going to take less than you think, and so you know, just make sure you do your homework on that if you're going to use phosphoric acid or any acid really to do a large system.
0: Sure, and if you're looking to check and see how much your pH buffer that you have is, um, you can actually go to your pet store, and they'll actually have a little test kit called a KH test kit. Um, sometimes it'll say a KH and GH test kit. And that, um, that's what you can use to test, and that'll give you your DKH, or your dissolved carbonate hardness, and that'll help you a lot in figuring out how much um, of a buffer you have to overcome before you can actually shift your pH. Right. <laughs> that's a great
1: point. Um, you know, I probably don't <laughs> test that stuff nearly as often as I should, but that's a great resource for people that you know, that are just starting out or don't necessarily know that much about testing your own stuff. I know it can be a little intimidating, but it's it's very easy to do. And if you go down to your, your pet shop, they'll definitely take the time to explain a lot of that stuff to you. And it's stuff they have to explain to anybody who has fish. Um, it really doesn't, not specific to aquaponics. Yeah,
0: that's funny. So, I yeah yeah <laughs> i think marty and i both agree it's been a, a real good two hour uh, podcast i i thought maybe we could get to an hour and 15 an hour and a half and we ended up uh, filling out a whole two hours so that worked out great um we'll hopefully do this again soon and we'll uh, if you guys have any questions or topics you'd like for us to cover we can uh um, drop them in the comments and um we'll uh, see you guys hopefully in a week or whenever we can get back together here soon um, all right sounds good and uh, check out uh, Marty's channel. He's got uh, AP Meds um, on, YouTube. Um, and then, uh, on YouTube, and then I'm um, Ponics on YouTube. And is there anything else that you want to plug or say? Or
1: No, just uh, thanks for watching, and good luck in Jamaica. Hope it all works out well, and we get to have a
0: podcast from there, and you can make yeah. us all jealous. <laughs> so i invite you guys down at some point. You know? <laughs> Sounds good all right well thanks everybody for watching and um, we'll see you guys next time have a good one all right thanks a lot